Welcome to the Splash Play Fantasy Football DFS slash sports betting podcast. We were up late last night watching the extended main slate culminating in the Seahawks-Cardinals game. And now we record a day later. Spags, we are facing the harsh light of day. Are we going to be able to make it through this podcast? I might not be able to. Thanks entirely to one man, Ezekiel Elliott, but we can talk about all that and more, including our waiver wire picks. We're going to take some L's from last week. And of course, we have to preview Monday night football Bears Rams tonight, Pete. So I honestly don't like having to stare at yesterday's mistakes the morning after much like in real life, Pete, but uh, I guess we can get into it right after this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, special Monday morning edition, or I guess Monday afternoon on the East Coast, but we're doing it in the morning on the West Coast. That's what matters. I'm Chris Spaggs, joined once again by my pal and yours. You know him on social media, at Peter Overzet. He's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? You know what? Uh, coming off of a pretty rough GPP day here for us in the DFS streets. You know, when the cash game lineups are scoring two times as many points as your GPP lineups, you know you're in for a rough day. But congratulations to everyone who had a great day, including the person who won the Millie Maker. I can't wait to discuss that. I mean, one of our loyal listeners. It always is. It seems to be each week. And uh, I guess let's talk about your day yesterday, Pete, because part of the reason why uh, Pete, of course, you may know, has roughly, I know people joke about it on Twitter, but roughly a couple dozen shows you do on a given weekly basis. But your Tilt Space show, that's one you've been doing with Joe Hulka and the line movement guys over there. And uh, you were up late, you were drinking, you were watching the slate. So I guess I didn't watch the show. So no spoilers for me. But Pete, I have to assume after hours of recording, being up till midnight on the East Coast, you must have won real big. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how DFS works. It's the amount of time you invest into it is directly proportional to the amount you win. And which is, you know, I spent hours and hours preparing for the slate, watching all the games, staying up late. And uh, yeah, I kept refreshing my DraftKings balance and uh, I was robbed. I, I don't know how that that happened. So, yeah, I did not have enough Tyler Lockett. I did not have enough Devontae Adams yesterday and no Lockett, no Adams, no money. No Lockett, no Adams, no money. That is the theme of the day, which we'll talk about in a second when we break down this Millionaire Maker winning lineup from one of our cherished listeners who actually uh, had an Osmo logo. The top two finishers had Osmo logos yesterday in the Millionaire Maker, so kudos to them. Um, I'll be back doing a show with them, doing their Live Before Lock show next Sunday just to do something with my life right now besides hang out with Pete on Zoom. But make sure you are hitting that like button and subscribing, of course, if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, real fast, apologies for the audio issues. The Thursday episode drove me nuts. My mic died. My my cherished Yeti Blue, which I've already cast aside into the trash bin <laughs> over here. I could have had it here and stroked it like a baby to, to show it love. But Pete, you know, a mic for guys like us, that's as close to like a, a necessary tool. It's like a vital organ that I'm losing right now. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's the tools of the trade. You know, a, a Yeti mic for a podcaster is like a, a sword for a swordsman. Uh, that was the best analogy I could come up with on the fly, but they get my point. 
There is a chance this episode also sounds a little shitty because I think this mic is picking up all of the audio in the room. <laughs> so it might might have an echo, might be a terrible disaster of an episode, but either way, should be back on track for Thursday. So this is on me. Um, unfortunately, you know, three years of a mic, you just use it into the ground with all the dulcet tones that I bring to the table. But hopefully we'll have that sorted out for Thursday's show. And of course, uh, we are doing the follow back on at Splash Play Pod. I have been doing a good job broadcasting that to all you guys. So make sure you're following at Splash Play Pod. On Twitter, especially, but Twitter and Instagram, we're following back the first thousand people on there. That's our way of showing love back to you for all the support you guys give us. And on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and a review that helps out. Uh, again, we're trying to establish this little foothold for ourselves moving forward. Uh, just me and Pete doing everything here, along with some help from our guy Willis behind the scenes uh, doing the ride or die picks. So we need your support now more than ever. And let's talk week seven, Pete. And let's start with the millionaire maker winning lineup, as I mentioned, and Orfield AK, one of our, uh, again, he must have seen shows with me on Osmo, came over here, maybe even enjoyed Pete on On the Contrary last year. That's all I can assume as why he has the logo and ended up with this Millionaire Maker winning lineup. But Russell Wilson as his QB, and Pete, you mentioned it up top, he stacked uh, Russell Wilson with Tyler Lockett. That was the must-have play. One thing he did that I didn't do, uh, didn't play DK Metcalf with him or any other Seahawks receiver. Those guys were not valuable. And I guess, Pete, does that strike you as genius, or do you think that might have been actually a suboptimal play relative to what we know? No, I, I think that's the right play for the Millie maker. I think the double stacks make so much more sense in the smaller field stuff because you don't need to be perfect in every spot. But we know to win the Millie maker, you have to be perfect in, in every combination. And every time Tyler Lockett scores a touchdown, that's a time DK Metcalf isn't scoring a touchdown. So I, uh, I like the skinny stack there for the Millie maker. And it's just one of our listeners just being incredibly sharp and understanding the contest they're playing. And two, when you have a mobile quarterback like a Russell Wilson, you could find him add some value in the in the rushing game, which he did 84 rushing yards for him. Uh, didn't get in the end zone on his feet, but still, that is the kind of situation where you don't mind not double stacking. If you're going with a uh, kind of prototypical prop uh, pocket passer, you might want to double stack a little bit more. And clearly, Russ is not that. And uh, and Orfields, or excuse me, and Corfield. I I completely sabotage Nate's name. My apologies, Nate. Uh, Todd Gurley at running back, along with Jamal Williams. So one value play, one mid price play. He avoids the Alvin Kamara chalk Pete and to me I think that's the core thing I would take away here was that he got those 20 fantasy points elsewhere and uh, he didn't need to go to Kamara who was I think roughly 50% owned depending upon the tournaments yeah and I mean Kamara was obviously a good play very popular he even had a good performance but it does go to show you that even Kamara didn't kill you if you didn't have him at that at that performance like he really needs to go for 30 for to really burn you there so I think it's another uh, takeaway of how important, you know, being on unique construction is uh, relative to just playing the best plays. I'm also muting myself in between each round just in case it's echoing. <laughs> so now this has become some sort of Herculean juggling task of podcasting, Pete, which I know you admire as a, a man of the craft. No, I mean, this is, uh, you know, podcasters, this is a feat of strength. It's a decathlon for you, really, to make it through this episode. Uh, you know, it's like on Top Chef when they have the gas station challenge. Make a gourmet meal out of these ingredients. That's what you're doing. You're making a gourmet audio meal out of these shitty conditions. More like ramen, I feel like. Instant ramen is what we're cooking up here today, but keep trying to make this work. Devontae Adams, he put up 48 fantasy points or just shy of that, uh, so very necessary alongside Tyler Lockett's 
gets 56 fantasy points. Just an absurd number to see uh, down here in print. Uh, he also had Deontay Johnson, which uh, Pete and I texted yesterday. It was my first day in the SPY. Uh, I usually don't like to play the high-dollar tournament so much because I think my bankroll goes a little further going into the, the ones where I can get 20 entries or 150 if I'm really feeling frisky. And um, I played the SPY, Pete, and I told you I had that Ben stack, and uh, the Juju side came through. The Chase Claypool side got completely gobbled up by Deontay Johnson. Uh, <laughs> Chase ended up with less than one fantasy point. Deontay here with 29. Yeah, that was, um, it's been hard to guess, um, who those popular, uh, or not who is popular, but who's going to be successful in that Pittsburgh wide receiver room. And the other thing is my guess would be you faded Deontay thinking he was going to be pretty popular, right? It was somewhat that, but also I just thought he kind of lost the role to Chase Claypool. Just because, I mean, how can you do any more than what Chase did while he was filling in for him? And I haven't seen the full snap count number, so I might be speaking on my ass. But from just watching the game, it did feel like uh, Claypool was out there enough or, you know, probably lost some of what he had before that because obviously Deontay Johnson. But I think James Washington took the biggest loss there. And Claypool and Johnson were running together a decent amount from what I saw. But yeah, that was sort of my logic was that people are going to go to Johnson because he's back. And maybe that is just the pecking order is that Johnson's just ahead of Claypool because Claypool is more of that splash play guy. Yeah, I'm looking up the um, the route rates for the wide receivers and Claypool is definitely past James Washington. James Washington at 22%, Claypool at 69%, nice. Deontay Johnson at 83%. And then Juju led them in routes run at 91% of the time. Yeah, Juju out there like a kid in Little League in the outfield who can't actually play outfield, just running routes, not getting targeted too often. But he did some things yesterday, so that's a, a credit to him. Uh, tight end, Harrison Bryant. This is a guy that did make sense. There was no uh, no Austin Hooper going into that game. David Njoku, the presumptive guy who would get a lot of the work at tight end. And uh, Harrison Bryant, honestly, you could have stacked him up with Baker. Actually, a Harrison Bryant, uh, Higgins plus Baker stack would have been the best value stack, I think, on the slate. But Pete, did you get any Harrison Bryant for yourself because again really sharp play just one that I didn't feel comfortable making yeah you know I I'm beating myself up about it a little bit I think what happened to me was uh I thought that Najoku and him were going to kind of split whatever work Hooper was getting and so that kind of scared me and then I'm sitting there looking at Harrison Bryan at 2500 I'm starting to get Adam Troutman flashbacks of like you know you can punt it off at tight end but man does this guy actually have a ceiling well it turns out he does I think one thing that I maybe should have paid closer attention to is there was a report before the game that was like you know Najoku's going to get some burn but like Harrison Bryant is the guy here for Cleveland stepping in for Hooper and it's always hard to sift through the noise of those reports like on the flip side the 49ers told us Jamichael Hasty was going to be the guy and then they let uh, Jeff Wilson carry it nonstop. So you sometimes have to be careful with those. But yeah, I do wish I would have paid more attention to Harrison Bryant this week. Yeah, that is uh, the hasty thing was weird and the, the hasty slash Wilson thing, but also McKinnon was like the one who was supposed to start, I think, at earlier in the week. And that was the note that was on DraftKings as his most recent player note, which um, I think speaks to one concept a lot of other shows have mentioned. But if you haven't heard this before, don't trust the player news on your FanDuel. Well, your FanDuel especially. But <laughs> that's probably from uh, 2017. <laughs> how they pull their data in. But, you know, trusting the casino to give you the most recent news on how to win. You know, like I think people tend to trust DFS providers a little more because they combine the media side with the the betting side a bit more. But, you know, I know there are people who are like, yeah, I'm like McKinnon should be playing, right? And I, I thought so too because he kept coming up for me and I was like, I guess I'll just play him and maybe this makes sense. 
And uh, yeah, that's that was not the latest news. It ended up being Jeff Wilson getting a lot of burn there. And I, I don't know. I just that was very tilting for me because McKinnon in the afternoon slate was my guy and he didn't touch the ball until the third quarter. Yeah, this is um, we're now kind of seeing that this is a very game script dependent backfield. And, you know, they they really handled the Patriots yesterday and they were having so much success with Jeff Wilson on the ground. I mean, Shanahan's known for kind of how he schemes those guys with a lot of misdirection. You'll see Debo Samuel and Ayuk coming across the formation. You get lots of misdirection and they were just having so much success up the middle that they didn't really have to start utilizing McKinnon more in the passing game, the screen game where we know he can be so explosive. So I'm not, I'm not writing off McKinnon yet. I think he still has some big days ahead, but the frustrating thing is like, we thought Jamichael Hasty was going to have the kind of game that Jeff Wilson did. And I, I always know that Jeff Wilson can be a goal line vulture, but I did not expect him to have this big of a workload. And we should mention though, that he is uh, he got injured and is probably going to miss a, a good amount of time. He's definitely out already been ruled out for the their next game, I believe against the Seahawks. So that's actually a pretty fertile spot for these guys. And I'm sure we'll revisit it for the waiver wire picks. And again, if you are just tuning in for that, if you're on YouTube, you're searching for waiver wire, you want to hear a bunch of different takes from a bunch of different people. Uh, we're usually the first show out there doing waiver wire, not today because of the schedule with yesterday's slate, but we will have the waiver wire picks Check the description. You can find the time code there to skip ahead. If you want to know how that sorts out for us, uh, let's close out and Corefield's lineup. He had Deandre Hopkins, another strong play kind of like the Devontae Adams guys who have gigantic upsides who are uh, going to be able to maybe be a slate breaker, I think is what this lineup really showed me and the defense Washington football team against the Cowboys. They just, uh, that, that was a pathetic game in every possible way as a lapsed Cowboys fan that I am. But um, Pete, any final thoughts on this lineup here? Other than the fact that of course, just great to see somebody winning would be nice to see them win alongside us. I would say, but uh, happy for N Corfield. Yeah, I think these kind of lineups uh, are are nice too because sometimes you feel like I have to just completely win the lottery, a nine-leg parlay to win the Millie Maker, but played really good plays. I mean, you know, having uh, Russ to, uh, to lock it, you get in Adams and Jamal Williams, who are two of the best points per dollar values in a great game environment, and then you just get unique in a few spots. You know, you play a Todd Gurley when no one's going to be playing him, and you play a Harrison Bryant when everyone is using that salary to pay up for a Travis Kelsey. So I think um, that's an encouraging lineup for the rest of our Splash Play listeners. I mean, the, the string we are on now of seven weeks in a row, this lineup just proves to me continually it could be you. And there was another millionaire maker tonight. So, hey, maybe for the showdown, somebody can pull that off. And we'll talk about that Monday Night Football game coming up towards the end of the show. Uh, but let's talk about the other big news items. And one that uh, came out right before we, we did start the show today. Uh, again, doing it Monday morning. So we got a little more news than we normally have. Odell Beckham, it is what they were afraid of. He tore his ACL. He's out the season. And uh, that did benefit Rashard Higgins quite a bit. But honestly, Pete, I think this might is one of those things where like Dak going out. I think people made the argument, especially the talking heads on TV made the argument like, oh, Andy Dalton could be better because he's not going to you know, be a distraction. He's not going to make the mistakes. And clearly that hasn't panned out this way. But it does seem like maybe the Browns aren't going to be too hurt here. They still have Landry there. They still have the running backs. At some point, they'll get Nick Chubb back. You know, Hooper has clearly been a guy who's been good. They paid a lot of money for him. Harrison Bryant can apparently do just as good of a job. So I don't think this affects how I view the Browns. I think they were kind of a middling team before. I think they're still a middling team now who will have good days when they get the run going. But Pete, does this change anything for you with the Browns where Odell was clearly the star, but uh, just a kind of disastrous couple seasons for him? 
Yeah, I, I think it's tough because Odell Beckham's been kind of all over the place. I mean, we saw him, you know, show his ceiling again in that Dallas game where he really went off. And I think the one thing, I don't think it actually has a, maybe this is, maybe this is wrong. I don't think it has a massive impact on like the efficiency of the offense. I think they do have enough talent to move the ball. I think what you lose is the big playability, the splash plays here, because Odo Beckham was really the only guy in that offense who has the athletic ability to take a slant to the house or to catch, you know, that 80 yard bomb, you know, Higgins is a solid player. He was a really productive guy out of uh, CSU. And he actually profiles kind of like a, a Tyler Boyd, like where they're very efficient, but they're not, he's not this athletic guy who's going to be breaking off big plays. Same with Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper, very good route runners, very good players. And this offense can be solid, but I just don't think, I think they're losing an explosive element that, uh, that will hurt them a little bit. I think the one thing that I could say is I, I, you know, and especially on this show, it's called splash play for a reason. We celebrate the big plays. Pete and I both believe, you know, fantasy wise that having these receivers that are going to make the big plays and the quarterbacks are going to take the big throws downfield is the best way to compete week to week in fantasy. That said, you know, Baker has shown a really poor pocket presence under pressure. He's shown, you know, this line, I don't think defends him particularly well over and over again. So I think for me, like this actually could be an improvement where we're focusing on keeping Baker accurate and short routes. And you're then, you know, granted Odell's a slant guy too, but there is still, you know, a uh, more of a penchant to take deep shots with Odell because he has that speed and get downfield. I think maybe it does constrict things a bit more for Baker where, you know, it just becomes a little bit more of an old school football where he doesn't have to make those, those high risk throws downfield. He can make more of a West coast offense. So I think there's a chance here this does, you know, at least as a lateral move for the Browns, always sucks to lose big talent. But, you know, I think with Odell going out, a bit of a distraction maybe too. I don't know. Like this could be one of those things where it comes out afterwards where if the team starts winning, then they're like, Odell actually has been a cancer in the locker room and they shift him out in the offseason. Yeah, I know. He he has that vibe about him. Uh, you know, we've seen these kind of uh, roller coaster flameouts now from Antonio Brown. Of course, now he's signed back with the Bucks. But this guy that just his uh, mercurial personality will will be generous here leads to some erratic results on and off the field. We're kind of seeing hints of that with Michael Thomas these days, both from like an injury and from a, you know, personality standpoint, you know, sucker punching one of his teammates. And I think it's fair to lump Odell Beckham in there of one of these guys that is immensely talented, but has also gotten cocky and hot headed enough that it's hard to know if you could ever fully trust him, especially if you play in a dynasty or keeper league, are these guys you really want to be hitching your wagons to long-term. I think that's a good transition, too, because we should talk about these. I didn't have them on the segment sheet, but Michael Thomas, I was listening. I think it was to Bill Simmons podcast, and I believe it was Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football, who is who does talk out of his ass a little bit sometimes. So I don't know the, the actual, you know, validity of the reports, but he was saying that Michael Thomas maybe wants a trade, which like he just signed the big contract this offseason. Like, I don't get what would change materially in that time frame. But it did seem a bit odd him going out and then Sanders also going out. And and honestly, Marquez Calloway, I thought, looked as good as Sanders at least. And maybe, you know, he's not Michael Thomas. He's not that big body dude. But like, maybe they get by with him. Like, something seems odd about that situation with Thomas. Yeah, I I have no idea what's what's going on there and uh I think it's it's concerning too because part of what made, you know, Michael Thomas is is a very good player, but he's also going to be losing Drew Brees here at some point who seems like he's kind of down to his last legs too. So, 
yeah, he's a guy in keeper and dynasty leagues. I, uh, I do not want on my team. Hopefully he can come back this season and still give us some, some nice weeks here, but not only did he pop up with one injury, but it was, it was two injuries that he popped up with late in the week there. So he is, he is not close to healthy uh, right now. So we'll have to keep tabs on that throughout the week. It could be actual health issues. Hamstrings were something we knew coming into the year were going to be a problem. Michael Thomas has struggled with that injury in the past, but you know, it could also be a bit of gamesmanship, which does happen from time to time. And I personally think we're going to see with Zach Ertz, as we talked about on the show, that um, just a guy who wanted a contract, didn't get a contract, and now won't shock me if his recovery ends up taking a lot of time off the clock that it wouldn't otherwise. Uh, we should also talk Antonio Brown. And I think, to me, one thing that jumped out, we're going to talk about this guy coming up in stat shaming, of course, one of our favorite segments here on Splash Play. But Scotty Miller's big day yesterday, I felt was kind of the tease for what Antonio Brown's going to be. You know, I don't know. I, I would assume that Brown runs a little more outside. They had, you know, Miller, I think, running in the slot. Some Godwin running a little bit more out of the slot. I think Godwin's going to be the main slot guy moving forward. But I think that's sort of what it is. Like, you're going to have weeks where Brady, you know, Brady, nobody rostered him yesterday for the most part. He wasn't even a factor for the winning lineups, but he had almost 40 fantasy points and uh, really did constrict the output this week, at least, to Godwin and Scotty Miller. And uh, I think that's what Antonio Brown steps into is at least that opportunity, whether he gets it every week, I don't know, but it does seem like Brady doesn't have as much of an eye for Mike Evans for whatever reason. Maybe he doesn't trust the contested balls that Evans, you know, clearly thrives with, but he does trust Brown. We know that from the limited Patriots stint, having him in his home amidst sexual assault allegations, maybe bad judgment there by Tom Brady, but AB's is ride or die. I think that's a guy who really has some value moving forward. Yeah, I I agree with almost everything you said. I think it is. Um, I think Godwin's you know projection and role is pretty unchanged. Scotty Miller definitely takes the hit as the guy that's going to get pushed out of the three wide receiver sets. And then yeah, I agree with you about the Mike Evans thing. It's weird. I mean, Mike Evans coming into this season, he's had at least a thousand yards receiving in every single one of his seasons since 2014 when he came in the league. Same year as Odell. And now his role seems to be kind of diminishing. They still will look for him in the red zone. But on top of that, you have Gronk's role now increasing as well. And he's getting a lot of Brady's red zone looks. No one needs uh, me to talk about the chemistry that Brady and Gronk have. So yeah, I'm worried about Evans. I think we'll still see some spiked weeks for sure. But his floor is now really, really low each week. And yeah, I guess I'm still on Antonio Brown. I'm still skeptical about what he's going to give you. That said, he's free, right? If you got him on waivers, uh, he cost you nothing. So might as well take a peek. But I do think at this point, kind of Gronk, Evans, and AB, and to a lesser extent, Scotty Miller are going to kind of alternate having these nice weeks while Godwin in the running game continue to roll. And then the last thing we should mention about them is their defense is really, really good. Um, I know they gave up a decent amount of points yesterday to the Raiders, but they forced Carr into some really bad decisions. And he had one of the lower passer ratings on the week too, I want to say. So when defenses are good, it means less fantasy points as well when the offense is efficient. So this is going to be an erratic offense for fantasy production, I think. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out, I actually didn't look that deeply into this. I, you know, the Mike Evans take that I had was kind of just off the eye test and his results so far. He's only had 353 air yards in seven games this year. So that's like 50 per game. And you compare that to where he was with Jameis. And, uh, you know, we could pull these numbers fast, but it's not worth the time on the show. But like he was getting upwards of 150 air yards per game with Jameis 
every single time out last year because, you know, the defense was trailing a lot, but also because Jameis was just willing to throw it up to Mike Evans because that's how Jameis plays the game. And that's not how Tom Brady plays the game. And, you know, Chris Godwin, I think a lot of people talked in the offseason how he's a good fit. Antonio Brown, same thing. I think Mike Evans just might not be a good fit. Won't shock me when he spikes that big upside day, but uh, I just don't think he's going to be the guy that we've seen in the last few years because, especially with Brown in there, like that's a legitimate target monster potentially, even if they are shorter routes. Yeah. Yep. No, I think there's definitely uh, room for concern there on Mike Evans. He'll he'll end up being Mike Evans is the kind of guy I'm getting excited to play in DFS because you're going to catch him at like a two percent low owned week. But for season long, I I am pretty nervous about my Mike Evans shares. He's had some tough matchups too, like Jair Alexander, who gave up a touchdown to uh, Will Fuller yesterday, but mostly kept him limited. I think he shut down pretty much everybody, you know, relative to the expected output. So could be some positive regression due, could be some better matchups to come for Mike Evans. Well, I'm sure we'll keep an eye on him. We'll talk about him because as Pete mentioned, you know, buying low on a guy is something that matters a lot, especially for DFS. But for fantasy too, you know, like, you know, just trading for Mike Evans is a speculative way. If your team is in the cellar right now and has no hope, I think that's something uh, that does make sense. Uh, next up, let's do the vacuum victory laps, which uh, in an industry that rewards self-congratulation, what are your proudest victory laps for the week? And uh, for me, I feel like De- Devontae Adams was the one I had, and, and there were, wasn't a lot for me to love this week, Pete. I don't know if you saw <laughs> Willis got to our splash play ride or dive pick sheet, and uh, I put up the, the PDO for this week, which kills me because I had so many guys who were hurt that I then just took the backup and it just wasn't the same play. And, uh, and even Rashard Higgins had a good showing against T Higgins technically did get more yards, but not the touchdown. I'm over hurts real bad. I have to say, I know that one was ballsy because like you could have definitely like you, you should have gotten some points on the Rashad Higgins. If you were like in the three point range, you would have definitely booked something with Rashad Higgins day because that was a really nice call. Uh, but the uh, the amount of things you needed to get right for that 10 pointer was hard. Um, yeah, I like a couple of I this was a new format of type of pick that I did. And I think I might have to stick with it because I had Deontay Johnson outscoring Derrick Henry, which hit I had Tim Patrick outscoring Travis Kelsey which hit. So those were kind of some of my, I think, good calls of maybe an unheralded guy in a game outscoring the more popular option uh, based on DFS price and ownership and all of that stuff. So yeah, you know, some, we were, we were, we were on good stuff. We just didn't hit the exact thing. Like you had Jamal Williams, number one RB on the slate, didn't quite get there, but was a great, great smash play. I mean, I had Kyle Allen and Terry McLaurin Millie lined up that didn't hit of course, but Terry McLaurin had a great game and could have had more if that first touchdown wasn't called back. So I think, uh, I think we're, we're on to something here. You know, we're, we're taking big cuts and uh, we're doing all right. Yeah. Henry Ruggs, I feel like is one that also is upsetting to me because Aguilar could have been a guy in a millionaire maker winning lineup. And um, he's actually been going off. Like he's his touchdown share for that team going into yesterday was like 27% or something like in terms of the passing touchdowns. And then he caught another two, I think. So I Nelson Aguilar, maybe are the Eagles bad at developing wide receivers? <laughs> that be the issue. Well, yeah, and I saw uh, Mike Clay had a tweet last night where he just said, very matter-of-factly, Nelson Aguilar is the Raiders' number one wide receiver. And Mike Clay is not prone to hyperbole. He's not out here throwing out hot takes to get engagements. Uh, He's just calling a spade a spade. And so, yeah, Aguilar's role in this offense, I mean, it's so ironic because we were all like, how is this offense going to shake out with Waller and then Ruggs coming into the mix and then Renfro had a solid role last year. And it's like, the one guy we weren't talking about is the one guy who's really popping off every week. And I, 
the the Eagles did bury him, you know, over a period of time, and he still was good. Like he produced for the Eagles when he was out there as a running as a number one guy and getting those looks and getting those targets. They people just remember the alligator arms, they remember the drops and all of that. But you know, that's what happens sometimes, and especially in a place like Philly where they focus on the bad. They didn't focus on the good, which like he had a millionaire maker winning uh, week last season too, where he was like got the role and got the opportunity. So if you're building around him like the Raiders seem to be, you should have some shots to be useful. Yeah, and he was like a good prospect. He was drafted in the first round uh, of the NFL draft. Uh, John Daigle over at Roto World had a tweet this morning about his stats the past two games. So this is over the past two, 79% of the snaps, 11 targets, 16.6% target share, team high 180 air yards, and the only Raiders wide receiver with an end zone target over that span. So pretty nice numbers there for Aguilar. Yeah, definitely a bit more volume as well than a guy like Ruggs is seeing. Ruggs could be Aguilar someday, maybe when they, uh, you know, don't want to pay Aguilar if he has an inflated year. But, um, you know, it is clearly an Aguilar offense right now. He's getting all the work in a meaningful way and getting all the touchdowns. That touchdown equity is a big deal. And sometimes things just flow for a guy in a way that's unexpected. So um, I'm trying to think, Pete, is there any? Well, first of all, do you, if you have any victory laps, you can throw that in, too. But I like the Devontae Adams of the world. So here's what frustrates me about Devontae Adams. So I had 30 percent of him in my lineups this week. I had 30 percent of him last week because that's just what the Monte Carlo Sims, which have been helping me out quite a bit. And I still think it's worth researching. People have DM me some questions about and I try to explain it as best I can but uh, the quick elevator pitch on it using uh, you know standard deviation numbers to try to calculate how many times a player hits a certain threshold over the course of people do 10,000 sims for these in financial models but for me I'm doing 100 because that's all my Excel can handle uh, without completely going to crap but like I'm playing 30% of Adams every week it's just because he has this upside but it feels like you know you're going to have a lot of weeks like last week where he puts up basically 10 fantasy points and you know, that's not what you need. And then you're drawing dead. But and then if you don't play him in a week like this one, you're also drawing dead. So I, how do you how would you handle it? How are you handling that? Especially because you're not doing, you know, the volume of lineups for the most part. You're trying to hand build, of course, quality as you try to imp- implement on Twitter and show all the people all the time. But how are you handling this? Because it's baffling to me. And it does seem like this year we're having a lot of these guys that you absolutely have to have. Where is last year? I feel like it was a little more construction based overall. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And his ownership came in around, you know, what you played him at. You, you pretty much matched the field at around 30%. My thought of how I've been approaching it for DFS with these guys is they're good plays for a reason. They're chalk for a reason. He's expensive. So if I play him, I want to like play it in a unique way, which I ended up using him in my Deshaun Watson double stacks and bring it back with Jamal and Devonte Adams. I w- I don't like playing chalky guys as one-offs because it's just like if he goes nuclear well then it probably means Aaron Rodgers goes nuclear as well which ended up being the case so that's kind of my only thought that said we saw lots of winning lineups like our splash play listener who won the Millie Maker he had just Jamal and Adam so obviously there are weeks where the one-offs will just work like that but in general trying to get first place in tournaments I'm wanting to build correlations around a chalky piece Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, you know, this still seems like something that's going to flip at some point, especially as guys like Christian McCaffrey get back in, possibly Thursday, but definitely within the next few weeks, it seems. Uh, You know, the chalk running backs have just not been working out week in and week out. And for whatever reason, you know, Jamal Williams was good, but you could have built away from him. Like you could have gone David Johnson. You could have gone Todd Gurley. You could have gone some different, could have gone to Gio Bernard, who was a guy that I didn't have as much of this week, even though I thought I would. I ended up with a lot more Jamal Williams. 
But I, it feels like running back, you can get away from more this year and be different with. And then the wide receivers, you can't. And I, again, I, it's one of these things. I don't know if it's going to flip or not. And I don't know if you have a read on this, but it just feels counterintuitive to the way that things have gone, you know, for me, especially covering this, this professionally for the last few years, but even before as a casual player, which granted, you're not paying as close of an attention, but it just feels like the chalk running backs are just not doing it this year. And, or, you know, even the high price ones like Zeke, who just killed 25% of my lineups. Yeah, it, it's hard. And I think that's why it's like, you know, we, we'll see micro trends uh, like that. But I think in general, too, it's um, it's important to, you know, just be consistent with your process. And like, you know, we Blender talks a lot about this. And I've really started to come around on this idea fully of like, if you want to play Devontae Adams, then you just want to start your lineup with him like go for it. You can totally do that. And then just build smartly around him. You could even want to play both Kamara and Adams and Jamal Williams, like three chalk pieces, but then it's like, all right, maybe we do a little contrarian game stack. Maybe you're doing a burrow double stack because you're eating all of this, this chalk. So I do think, I guess talking about Adams in a vacuum, one other thing, I feel like he's now kind of in that Michael Thomas tier where he has such a high floor and a high ceiling. And then the other thing, you know, Derek Cardi over at Roto Grinders, he loves talking about Michael Thomas in the dome because you just generally see like one or two more overall points in games that are played on the fast track in a dome. And then you look at that over under Vegas telling us there's going to be a ton of points scored all signs pointed towards a massive Devonte Adams week here. And I think that's kind of the thing where maybe, you know, we should have got on him even more than our 30% or 20% because he's in a dome second highest total over under on the week actually might've been the highest and just a really nice spot. Even Tunyon was a little banged up this week that, you know, everything pointed towards monster volume, no Aaron Jones. So yeah, the way more we talk it out, I think you could definitely talk yourself into being overweight on Adams in that spot. I think too, and it's an interesting debate because I, I don't know if Pete, if you, I'm sure you have, cause you follow everything, but uh, the Osmo empire maker, the old Thunderdome competition, uh, two of the highest earning players in DFS and, and I guess betting for empire maker as well. And uh, these guys are competing in the Thunderdome competition, the $5,000 entry that Pete was in a couple weeks ago uh, with some of his friends over at line movement. And um, yeah, they, they were talking about it. And I actually watched one of the, the run pure sports streams. Uh, I like that. We can just talk about all these shows. Cause we have no affiliation. We can just, <laughs> just be, keep it nice and loose here, but I watched the stream. And I, first of all, Pete, I know you follow this stuff closely, but uh, there's a sect, I guess that those guys represented the DFS community. That's like, the the trump bro like and they fancy themselves to be cool guys which i don't think any of us are cool like i think i think pete and i are pretty cool relative to the space but like we're still not cool relative to like tiktok guys like we're, <laughs> we're not like that cool but they're like yeah the, these nerds over there it's like what what am i what world am i living in <laughs> i know i uh i listened to that uh show as well and i was getting a crack uh cracking up and i, I oh they, they bashed you, you too i forgot yeah we were uh <laughs> We were, um, we're all playing an online game about a game that actual jocks play. We are inherently nerds. And also we all use projections. We're all using projections in one way or another. This is a very nerdy enterprise. None of us can wiggle out of it. And yes, does the nerdness exist on a spectrum or could you be running Monte Carlo Sims perhaps? Sure. But we are all nerding out here. So positioning this as a battle of jocks versus the nerds is, is really rich. 
Yeah, and it was funny that Osmo actually had a couple pretty good burns. Not to not to show too much love because we we try to be fair here. Like if if Osmo looked like a dork, I'd be like, yeah, okay, he like might have looked a little bit like a dork. But I felt like he made one funny, really funny line about just the idea of using projections because I guess one of the guys who was on that stream, I don't know them that well honestly. I think it was Hoop. Um, he had put an MMA lineup in that was like basically the optimal on any projection site. And then Alex was like, well, you could have saved a lot of time watching tape if you just used projections. <laughs> it's like, like I just don't get, I, I get you want to be the cool guy. I get everybody wants to have their angle. But point being, I, I think that, uh, that that competition with them showed me a lot where, you know, just how they think about it. And they talk about, like, I think the takeaway is that you should you should merge stuff. If you're watching all the games, you should merge what you see and you should merge, you know, some data that feels trustworthy. I think DVOA to me was one that I relied on a little too much. And I think that's one that I've kind of shifted out of my process because it does offer some spots that you're not noticing. But I think, you know, if you get too slavish to anything, I think you're mostly going to end up failing more often than not. But I think that's sort of I just wanted them to be like peanut butter and, and chocolate go well together and figure out that a Reese's peanut butter cup is the move because it shouldn't just be all data. Like it probably should be more data than not, but in, even ignoring the cool guys part, like you should watch things. I think for MMA, I think they're right. There is a little more of an edge to watch, even just watching weigh-ins, but like, you know, like the data is the data and that's ultimately what sh you should use the data to inform your process and, and double check things you think are right or double check things you think are wrong. And I, I just, it, it really is a weird, weird little Twitter beef. Yeah, and when you think about cash games in general or playing near optimal lineups, like that itself, cash games are a math problem. And yes, is there a little finesse? Like if you looked at a lot of the cash game lineups, most of them had seven of the same plays and then two V2s. It was like, did you want to go cheaper with Traquan and pay up for Kareem Hunt? Or did you want to go Geo and pay down for, or pay up for Keenan Allen? Like almost everyone had those kind of two V2s. But so there's a little finesse, but it's a math problem. We're trying to get as many projected points into our lineup as possible. And for cash games, we are okay with median projections because we're just caring about floor. And then tournaments, which we enjoy, are then adding on a new layer of trying to get in the most projected points, but also a game theory of what are our opponents doing and how can I get in more projected points than what they're doing. And so it's literally math problems. And then tournaments are math problems with game theory layered on top of it. This is all nerdy shit. It's very nerdy. <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know, I, I still, I see what they're trying to say. Like, I do agree. You know, it's weird when there are people who just don't know the players at all, but you know, sometimes that could be helpful because you come in with your biases and all that. So I just wanted to chime in there. And, um, and then they called Pete a TikTok star, which I thought was nice. You know, even though they meant that as a derogatory thing, like I'd love to be a star on the largest platform in the world and theoretically making millions as I'm sure Pete is off of his TikTok videos. <laughs> yes, I know. I've I haven't made TikTok videos uh for a while. So to still be labeled the the TikTok guy, it just shows the kind of longevity that you can have in this space if you just uh you know own a niche for a little bit of time. That's true. I think it's more impressive for you than anything. Um and I guess we could lump that into the take the L segment. Maybe some L's needed to be taken, but uh, you know, I I I watched the whole thing. So hey, kudos to them. If you could get me to watch an hour of anything, uh more power to you out there for everybody on YouTube. Uh but let's take some L's here and uh here's one L that I have to take. All my guys were injured on the Thursday show and I granted I was flustered because of the um, you know, the, the no mic situation. And also because I do tend to think guys are playing more often than not when injured, especially if they go through practice in a limited fashion. And that has not been the case this year. And, uh, Michael Thomas is a guy I talked about. I ended up having to take Traquan Smith in that bet. Aaron Jones with his cash strain seemed like that was a weird political battle for him where he wanted to play internal politics rather for the Packers. He wanted to play. He flew out. They were like, no, you're not playing. Um, clearly they have higher aspirations. They were happy to go with Jamal Williams, but 
I just feel like for me, that's the L I'm going to take. But Pete, are there any noteworthy L's you would like to take for week seven? Yeah, one of my biggest L's uh, was I got, especially towards the end of the week, and I talked about him on our ride or die picks. I was really into Stefan Diggs. I played him in my main spy lineup, and that was just such a tilting game because, you know, the Jets weren't looked nothing special, but they just settled for field goal after field goal after field goal after field goal. I think Tyler Bass had seven field goal attempts and six went in. I mean, absurd stuff. So that, that's the kind of stuff that's going to happen in DFS, and I actually do – think it's one of the risks of you know everyone projected that game to be lopsided we knew the bills were going to put up points but there are there's fragility to that in that like if the jets can't keep up or they score through defensive touchdowns or this week field goals then that might not have the game environment for these guys to really blow up whereas like you look at the houston green bay game i mean watson and them really struggled like lots of stalled out drives and he still finished with 27 points and will fuller still found his way in the end zone just because of the elevated play volume so i'm a little bummed on uh on Diggs not accessing a ceiling in that matchup but i think that's sometimes the risk you take when you take on these guys as big favorites yeah Diggs and gabriel davis both in that one uh killed me i had them i had put them in our ride or die picks as combining for over 40 dk points and that did not work out uh when john brown got ruled out i got i inherited gabriel davis thanks to john brown not being able to play but uh yeah you know i think it's one of these things with the bills in particular where we saw it a lot last year where if they trust josh allen if he's running good they're gonna let him do more and if he's running bad which i think they've could qualify the last couple games at uh, allen had some quotes to the media about how he feel like he felt like he let his team down the last few like i feel like they're reluctant to hurt his confidence more and it's been a, an interesting little uh i don't know line that they're trying to walk of managing his ego and trying to keep him you know so he's not going to kill him over and over again and it does seem like right now the bills until they break out of that this little slump that they seem to be on maybe not trusting Allen as much and that as a result means they're not going to trust Diggs quite as much uh but that's yeah i'm with you on that one and this this lumps in well to the tell me who hurt you because i was with you on josh allen i thought he was one of the better qb plays on the week and uh did not have him enough with Cole Beasley had him some, but still had Diggs or Davis and all those stacks with Josh Allen. Um, for whatever reason, I didn't just go one man sacks with him, which you can do with a running quarterback, but um, he hurt me. And I would say Ezekiel Elliott would be the one I've talked about here, Pete. He hurt me so bad because I just thought he was a good pivot to Kamara. It felt like he was going to be much less owned. I had the projections being close enough, um, even though the Cowboys are in disarray. And uh, boy, Zeke, I mean, what do you think of this Cowboys offense, Pete? Because I I want to have some hope. I think Ben DiNucci, if he starts, I would assume he's going to start the next one. I think he can throw. Like, I think if they get, protect him, he can throw it downfield and he's not afraid to do that. But I, if they don't have that element, I don't see how Zeke gets going because he's clearly not himself. And there have been rumors about, oh, like maybe the COVID made him a worse, like screwed him up. Maybe it's not as good. Maybe it's not good for athletes to get COVID. <laughs> but I think Bill Simmons, again, might have been the one talking about that where he's like, oh, yeah, bad for athletes to get COVID, apparently, because Zeke's bad. I don't know that you could say that. But with that and Reichwell Armstead, maybe there's an argument. Yeah, I know. That's sad news. Only 23 years old. I mean, they're expecting him to be out for the season, continues to have complications past that. So uh, definitely a sobering reminder that it's uh, young people aren't just okay uh, after they get this. Um, yeah, Zeke is frustrating. It seems like there's a lot of factors at play, right? Like he's just not as good of a player. Like he's making really like boneheaded mistakes. He's fumbling the ball. He's getting blown up in pass protection. On the other hand, they're now down to their second, maybe third string quarterback. Their offensive line has a ton of issues, which of course is going to make it harder to run. So yeah, I think there's a lot of factors contributing to it. And man, Tony Pollard looks pretty good every time he touches the ball. So um, it's a fragile, I think, 
situation for season long, but I was with you. I played in my main spy lineup and the one I finished near the very bottom, I had the Josh Allen double stack, which of course didn't work out. And then I wanted to play Terry and I liked the little correlation with Zeke and with your same thought process, everyone's on Kamara. Let's play Zeke here. And obviously uh, Terry worked out fine, but did not work out with Zeke, but so is uh tournament life there. So he hurt me. And then also in that same lineup, and this is how it finished in last place. Mike Davis really hurt me this week. He was another guy that I really liked his role and no one was going to play him because of the two cheap running backs, because of Kareem Hunt, because of Kamara, no one was going to play him. And I thought he could have, I mean, in ride or die, I, I had him as potential to finish number one running back on the slate. I do say going in, I think the process was sound. I do think I need to adjust how I think about Mike Davis, even separate from McCaffrey returning. I mean, Curtis Samuel was getting a decent amount of touches, including uh, a, a carry from the five yard line. So maybe Mike Davis's bell cow role is starting to slip a little bit from his grip, but man, yeah, Mike Davis hurt me pretty bad yesterday. I think too, it's just the passing game. So um, I, we've talked, you know, I only did one best ball team, unlike Pete, who has an army of them uh, awaiting to awaken like the like the Night's Watch or or the frozen guys in De- Game of Thrones, though, the whatever they were, the zombies, the, the what were they? The White Walkers, White Walkers, that's it. There we go. G- game of Thrones already left my brain so fast. But um, in my one lineup, I have all three Carolina receivers with Teddy Bridgewater because I was, uh, you know, we've watched the show. I was buying it on the Carolina offense early and every week these guys end up being like in the mix for being my guys who end up make the final lineup in best ball. If you're not familiar with best ball, you have an entire roster of guys and it just optimizes based upon who had the best scores. And this week until I think there's somebody broke out, but I had both like Sanders Moore, and Anderson in all of my spots plus the flex. Uh, because they just keep getting there every week. And I feel like if the pass game is that involved, maybe that changes when McCaffrey's back in there. But I feel like Mike Davis is like, oh, they don't feel the need to feed him 20, 25 touches um, if they're going to have a good pass game matchup. And, you know, against the Saints, we know from Rich Rebar, Saints haven't given up that 100-yard rusher since Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah. No, uh, I'm with you for sure on all that. Yeah, so Carolina, an interesting team to watch. Uh, some other interesting players to watch, of course, in our favorite segment, Stat Shaming, or one of our favorite segments. We have so many. They're all like our children. We can't pick one. But Stat Shaming, did these plays get unsustainable numbers, or do we consider them beautiful at a healthy weight of touches? And the first guy we have to ask this week, Pete, in Stat Shaming, Tyler Lockett, 15 catches, 200 yards, three TDs on 20 targets. I think he looked great last night. I think that that dress that he was wearing fit every single curve on his body. But I think next week, you're not going to see him looking that good. Maybe it's a, a Seinfeld situation where you see him in a different light and all of a sudden he looks like a ghoul. But I just feel like next week, we could see DK Metcalf put up that exact same line while Lockett sits by, has a touchdown taken away. I love Lockett. He's one of my dudes, but I would shame him heavily for this one. He's not, he shouldn't have that Devontae Adams floor on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, Lockett deserves a teeny bit of shaming, but we're also not getting catfished here, right? We've seen Tyler Lockett have three touchdown games before. This isn't, you know, an identity theft kind of thing going on here, but Tyler Lockett was pretty dolled up last night. I mean, spent a lot of time getting ready, looking really nice, and we know that he can do this. He he has the capacity to uh, to doll himself up and ball out here. But I'm with you. I think DK Metcalf is still kind of the preferred alpha. And if you read into and believe in the cornerback matchup stuff and defenses, the Cardinals have been a lot better against outside 
receivers and perimeter receivers than over the middle. And so this one kind of played out in that fashion with Metcalf not having as much success on the outside and Lockett really finding all the open places uh, over the middle of the field. So Lockett, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shame just the teeniest bit, but uh, cute little guy for sure. I, I won't be I won't be roped into the DK Metcalf gets shut down by the Cardinals thing because I think he's had really bad numbers that they mentioned on yesterday's game. But I, I the next time that they play, I think I'd be willing to go to DK Metcalf. And I agree, Tyler Lockett, uh, a hunk of a man in every possible way, but maybe not as much of a hunk as he appeared yesterday. <laughs> Another guy who I think, Scotty Miller, uh, we can stat shame him. Six catches for 109 yards and a TD on nine targets, 151 air yards. And it's like we talked about earlier. I think Scotty Miller looked great today, but there's a hotter girl coming to to town for Tom Brady next week, who's going to get all of his attention. And maybe Scotty lets his his looks, you know, slide by the wayside a bit more, uh, both his actual physical looks and his looks, his direction. I just don't think Scotty's going to get as many snaps. I think it's uh, going to be an Antonio Brown, uh, Chris Godwin with a sprinkling of Mike Evans offense, as we talked about. So I would stat shame Scotty. I think this is a full on catfish, not because of his fault, though, just because somebody else better is coming into town. And sometimes you just got to ride that prettier pony, Pete. Yeah, it's uh, we we gotta shame the the shit out of Scotty Miller here. I mean, uh, it, yeah, Antonio Brown's coming into town. Scotty Miller's stat line does not know that Antonio Brown is coming into town, and so yeah, he's gonna be the odd man out. And we mentioned it earlier, Gronk's role is really increasing too. Where before the tight ends weren't a big part of that offense, and a guy like Scotty Miller could come in and produce. And on top of this, like Tyler Johnson looks solid too, when he plays. So there's just a lot of talented guys in this offense. And will, could Scotty Miller have a game similar to this at some point this season? I think so. But I think uh, the odds of it happening have now greatly decreased uh, with the tight ends growing and Antonio Brown into the fold. Yeah, I think it wouldn't shock me if he has those days where if he does get cheaper, which he probably won't be next week, but when he gets cheaper, like he can turn one or two of these big plays into something, but I don't think, you know, nine targets like that to me is a number that he won't hit. And I think the routes run obviously going to take a drop too uh, with Antonio Brown instead. And here's an easy stat shaming for this one. Jeff Wilson. I mean, he comes in, uh, he comes in looking banging here, 17 carries for 112 yards, three touchdowns as well as two catches for eight yards. But it's hard, Pete, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get on the ADA, the American Disabled People Association's radar. But if you come in looking sexy and you leave in a wheelchair, that's not somebody that I want to go with. So <laughs> I think for Jeff Wilson, I think an easy stat shame this is not happening again uh possibly for the year but i think he'll i don't, I don't think he's that hurt but i just he's going to come back and it's going to be most there it's done for jeff wilson normally when i stat shame i try to do it from a place of objectivity and remove myself from biases you know and just really speak the truth but jeff wilson he hurt me i i bought into the jamichael hasty news i started jamichael hasty in some season-long leagues so jeff wilson you made this personal and there is no way you can keep this up and i don't wish injuries upon anyone but this stat line is not reflective of your role in this offense going forward tevin coleman's coming back jamichael hasty still around mckinnon is solid so jeff wilson he was the the touchdown vulture last year and uh he got his laugh in week seven but i must shame him for this effort that he stole away from Jamichael Hasty.
He did. It was sort of a jealous other sibling thing, a classic Cinderella scenario with Jeff Wilson uh, taking all the love away from these guys. But uh, maybe this next segment here will be a, a spot where Jamichael Hasty or some of these other running backs for San Francisco can reemerge. Of course, it is time for the waiver wire snake draft. So if you skipped ahead or whatever, that's fine. But make sure you hit that like button down below and subscribe to the channel. We do these videos uh, normally every Sunday night after Sunday night football, every Thursday after Thursday night football. But of course, with the COVID schedule moving things around, things may be subject to change. But uh, subscribe and you'll get all of our latest content, two episodes a week for the rest of the NFL season. And the Waiver Wire Snake Draft, the rules here, we pick the guys available on waivers normally before any show out there gives their Waiver Wire picks. Player has to be owned in under 40% of leagues according to ESPN.com. And Pete, I think I'm going to take the first one this week because, well, A, for just to be spiteful towards you, and B, I think it's actually a risky pick, but I liked what I saw. I'm very intrigued. I love this offense. Jamichael Hasty, come on down. You're the number one pick in the Waiver Wire Snake Draft. He just looks like a monster. This rushing offense, I think, I think you and I could run behind this line and put up 50 yards. Yeah, I mean, we just want to be taking cracks on this offense as much as possible. It, it is hard to get a read on who's going to have the big game, but now they play Green Bay next week at home, and then they get New Orleans. Uh, then they have the bye, and at that point, you got to expect Kevin Coleman is most likely back as well. But I, or sorry, they play Seattle. They have three games, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans. So those are all, to me, look like potential high-scoring affairs there. So, yeah, I think McKinnon is going to have a nice game or two in here as well. But Jamichael Hasty now, there's just part of what makes the 49ers offense unpredictable is how many bodies and guys they have. But it's really getting weeded out now without Jeff Wilson, without Mostert, without Tevin Coleman. So Jamichael Hasty is going to get that two-down work in this offense. So, yeah, I think he's a great ad this week. Yeah, Hasty seems worth it. Coleman, I think, is a risk potentially to come back this week. So, you know, if you want to, if your team is in dire straits, maybe pick up both running backs and they can hopefully get you through a couple weeks here. But um, yeah, Hasty to me seems like a good number one. But Pete, who would you take with your number one pick here in our waiver wire snake draft? Yeah, I'm going to take this guy. He's only rostered in 1.8% of leagues. We mentioned him earlier. I read off those stats from Daigle of how hot he's been. I'm taking Nelson Aguilar here on uh, the Raiders. Their their buy is in the rearview mirror. He's had a touchdown in the past three games, um, which is impressive. And then another thing I remember from my best ball days, I love this Raiders playoff schedule. They have three home games at home in Vegas, in that dome there, Indianapolis, Chargers, Miami. Like those all feel like games where the Raiders could have a, a ton of scoring. And man, you know, this is one of those things, my olden days, I'd be too biased. I'd say, hey, I don't like Nelson Aguilar. He's flamed out, but we have to adjust to what we're now seeing on the field. And he's coming off of a nine target game. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, I think is someone you should add. Yeah, and that's one of those times you look at the data and it tells you a different story, perhaps, and your perceptions may, uh, particularly if you spent the last few years only reading Philadelphia media and listening to Philadelphia podcasts. But Aguilar is a dude um, who you sometimes just got to look at what guys are getting, and he's getting a lot. Uh, Pete, it's a snake draft, so you get one more pick here. Yeah, so I'm having a hard time knowing how to handle. So there were both running backs in the Sunday night football game got banged up and we're kind of awaiting the news here. I guess the Chris Carson one, he had a midfoot sprain. They're saying that might not be as bad. Uh, I'm not going to waste my pick on Carlos Hyde. If he, if he's going to be back and then Kenyon Drake is getting an MRI and they fear that that might be a little more serious, but Chase Edmonds is already owned in a ton of leagues. So those are just kind of two interesting things to monitor. I'm going to go ahead and stick though with wide receiver. I'm going to take Rashard Higgins. We talked about him. Um, unlike, you know, Aguilar, who's kind of growing his role 
among like a crowded pass catchers with Waller and Renfro and Ruggs. I mean, Higgins is stepping up into a ton of opportunity now without Odell. And so this six target game here, once Odell left 110 yards, uh, I think that's going to be more of what we're going to see. He's not a guy I would be as excited about in standard leagues, but in the PPR formats, I think he's a guy uh, you should definitely add if you can start a, a decent amount of wide receivers. Yeah, I think you're I think you're on the ball there. And, you know, Rashard Higgins, we talked about him enough earlier, but uh, there's going to be a lot of routes to go around without Odell out there. And um, I think you know, I could see Baker be a better player because of having uh, not having to feed Odell the targets or, or fear his wrath. So we'll see how that goes. I'm going to go. I'm just going to stick with the theme. Last week was the tight end theme. And I feel like for this one, I just want to cover every every base possible here because I think this is an important backfield to get a part of. So I'm going to take Tevin Coleman here with the pick on the turn. Um, I actually do have him in some leagues uh, just sitting there waiting. But we've seen Raheem Mostert. It doesn't seem like he's a dude who you can necessarily bank on staying in there. And if Jeff Wilson is out an extended period of time, he also looked pretty bad as well. Uh, kind of similar to Kenyon Drake with how he left the field, though. Kenyon Drake, absolutely apoplectic after his mom finally gave him the advice he needed, and then he has to leave with an injury. But um, Tevin Coleman, to me, is a dude who you're, you're, gonna get, you're guaranteed to get a piece of the backfield if you end up with Hasty and Coleman. And if McKinnon goes off, I don't know, man. I just I just give up with the backfield. But <laughs> I'll take two Niners backs and hope one pays off. There you go. Uh, and are you the turn? Is this your final I, I am the turn, so let me see who else. And you know what? I'll take a guy that we just talked about because I'm intrigued by him, and I think the schedule for the Browns does bode well. They have the Raiders next week, then the Texans, then the Eagles, then the Jaguars, then the Titans. So five games in a row here where you could get something useful out of him, especially if perhaps you lost Dak and then tried Andy Dalton. But Baker Mayfield, I think, could actually benefit from just having this offense. I laid out my case earlier. I don't think he's a deep ball guy right now. I think some of his confidence is eroded there. But I do think he can be accurate in short throws, especially if you can keep the pressure off of him. So with this you know run of games, games here that you can find some decent Baker performances won't be shocked if he does a little shell game with the people out there but Baker to me seems worth a stab yeah so I you know I was trying to see if I could give the people some variety you've given a QB uh, a running back and I've given a couple wide receivers here um, wide receivers are what I'm going to stick with and I'm going to have a theme here I, I have a double tap right for my last two picks yeah So I'm going to double tap two rookie wide receivers here. The first of which I'm going to take is Denzel Mims, who made his debut for the Jets uh, on Sunday. He was a prospect that actually, from an athletic standpoint, was even more exciting than Chase Claypool, but pretty similar prospects drafted in the similar range. And I know everyone's like, oh, the Jets, blah, blah, blah. He comes in right away. His first game, he has seven targets. He only had four for 42. But the thing that's interesting here to me is Brashad Perriman, got really banged up. He's being evaluated for a a concussion after a really hard hit here. And the fact that he could come in as a rookie in his first game off of an injury and command seven targets is pretty impressive to me. And Sam Darnold definitely seemed to be looking his way in just one trend that I've been on all year in the offseason drafting teams is like this rookie class is really good. And a lot of these guys are undervalued just because of the amount of rookie wide receivers here. And so Denzel Mims is a guy, I'm not saying he's going to be Chase Claypool. He doesn't have Ben Roethlisberger as his quarterback, but if he can get up and it starts earning five to seven or eight targets a game with his profile, he's going to have some big games. So Mims is a guy. And then I'm also going to take Jalen Rager, who was just activated off of IR from the Eagles. I mean, we saw them on Thursday night. They're using Hightower. They're using Fulgham, who legitimately looks pretty solid. But now they lose Deshaun Jackson for the year. You know, Ertz, who knows if he's going to ever come back. I mean, it's 
They're really devoid of weapons here. And Rager in that first week, he caught a 55-yard bomb, looked really good. I think he steps in right away uh, and starts making plays. And again, I'm shooting for upside here. If you're looking to plug leaks right away, then maybe these guys aren't the best bets. But if you have a solid team and you're trying to build a monster for the playoffs, I like taking shots on guys like Mims and Rager. Yeah, Rager was getting a lot of deep balls thrown his way when he was out there. And as Pete mentioned, with Deshaun Jackson being out, uh, it looks like for the year, um, could be a situation that he just takes over that opportunity. And uh, I think Fulgham, also, as Pete mentioned, uh, does look like the best receiver in that entire group so far, though he could lose a little bit to Alshon Jeffrey, assuming that he eventually gets back in. He's continued to find ways. Another guy at wide receiver has found ways to not make the lineup over and over again. Um, this kind of surprised me. Antonio Brown's 75% rostered already. I mean, I guess like, I'm, like I picked him up cheaply without even paying a waiver price when I saw the news, but like, that's a lot of Antonio Brown rostering. I'm just kind of surprised that people opted from that fast. Well, I think I, uh, I guess it doesn't surprise me. I know, uh, Matthew Barry, he had done a tweet. And when that fantasy life notification came across for everybody in the app, like it was also during a time, like a, a lot of my leagues have changed to where I just have weekly or, or sorry, daily blind bid waivers. So there's no first come first serve. Cause basically you just get who's the fastest on the trigger finger. Who dare I say Spags is the biggest nerd around on their phone to go and add someone. So um, yeah, I think people got very excited and there's very few moments like that in a season, but when they do happen, it is kind of a thrill to be like, there's a guy on my waiver and I can go beat everyone else to him. And I think that might've been what happened with Antonio Brown. Yeah, it came out at a time too where I just like had woke up and was like, oh, great. <laughs> I can just do this real fast. But yeah, some of the other uh, the guys in your league who are too busy being cool, doing coke and drinking wine, they're the ones who couldn't get to Antonio Brown because <laughs> they're not nerds enough to be waiting on waivers. Um, I'm going to take a stab. So I don't know Andy Dalton's status. I, I think that it's something to watch though because he got hit pretty hard. No fine on that play, which a bit of a surprise, but um I think Ben DiNucci might be the Cowboys' only chance at salvaging this season because they're, they're not going to sign Colin Kaepernick. I don't think Jerry Jones doesn't seem like the dude to be the biggest fan of what Colin brings to the table, even though uh, if you wanted a replacement for Dak, like to me, that's, you know, assuming that Kaepernick is 80% of what we last saw, like he's kind of the dude you would take here. But Ben DiNucci came in through a deep ball to Mari Cooper, then just got no time. And then they decided just to run the clock out because Ben clearly wasn't ready for the game. But a uh, come out of James Madison does have a pit highlight reel too to transfer to James Madison uh, from Pitt. And he shows in the, in the tape that I saw a little bit of Brett Rippin in him where he's kind of take some deep shots. Uh, so Pete, this is how I talk myself into Ben DiNucci here. I think he's worth a stab because that's because of this offense. He's stepping into a Ferrari. Maybe he doesn't even have his learner's permit. But if he does achieve anything here, if he is Nick Mullins even, like he could actually be useful for the back half of the year because I don't see how they go back to Andy Dalton at this point. Yeah, my only concern is it's a Ferrari that doesn't have brakes uh, just with the offensive line being so bad right now. But I do agree, like the same reason people were excited about Dalton, it's because of these weapons like they're this offense can still move the ball. I just he seemed so under duress uh, when he came in, he was getting sacked a lot. So if the offensive line can just get a little bit better, I, I honestly I'm not in the weeds enough to even know if they have guys that are coming back and if it can improve here shortly. But that would be my one concern about the man who sounds like uh, an Italian car salesman, Ben DiNucci. <laughs> that felt a little racist, Pete, against our people, but I, I feel like this is a proud moment for the Italian community. Tony Soprano smiling down from heaven at this moment here. So close to Columbus Day, too. Like, what a the, moment for Ben DiNucci. 
the people who canceled me for saying handcuff are going to be thrilled to cancel me for my Ben DiNucci joke. Uh, the Italian advocates, quite frankly, don't come out often enough, but it's worth pointing out the Cowboys schedule coming up. They have the Eagles. They have the Steelers. That Steelers game, if it's Ben or Andy Dalton, is going to go very poorly for the Cowboys because the Steelers blitz half the time and the, that line is not built to stand up to that. But then they have the Vikings. They have Washington again. I think it's I think it's worth the stab, but oh boy, Ben DiNucci might get gobbled up though if he has to play the Steelers on uh, November eighth. It's true. It's Oof. true. Brutal. All right, we got the Monday night game, so this is our our final part of the show. So make sure if you haven't yet, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. Of course, new episodes after Sunday night football and Thursday night football, uh, or as you know, as soon after we can get it up. But uh, we try to make sure we have the best information available for you guys always, and that includes the ride or die plays, despite. Pete picking up his first win since week one. So, Pete, you know what? There's a heater for you to ride. So I will support it here and let you go first. Yeah, this is um, this game is is kind of gross. I uh, I've admittedly not started doing my my showdown research for it yet. There were some interesting things kind of like on the injury report. Uh, Tyler Higby was a little banged up last week. Um, I will say that we have yet to kind of see the quintessential Cooper Cup blow up game i will say he's the uh the captain in the winning optimal showdown lineup tonight on DraftKings. cooper cup goes big okay i like that call i do think uh in the sims i have cooper cup having a 14 percent chance to be a captain and it does you know like we saw yesterday with tyler lockett russell had a pretty good day but tyler lockett if he gets a lot of that that benefit of that day uh, he's a more logical captain and uh, impossible to beat in a showdown lineup. I think for me, I'm also going to go in a similar way. I'm going to take Allen Robinson as the as the showdown winning captain tonight. Uh, I just think that, A, I need the 10 points <laughs> and the ride or die picks so Pete doesn't get too close to me. Uh, but B, I think Allen Robinson is not going to get covered by Ramsey. I don't see in the sh- he being him being a part of the shadow report. It does seem like they have Ramsey going into the slot to cover Anthony Miller, which he, I think Pete, you actually might have mentioned that a couple episodes ago, but Jalen's been going into the slot a bit more a lot of star corners actually go into the slot a bit more. Um, I, I If he's going to get Troy Hill, if Allen Robinson is going to get Troy Hill, I think it could be a really dangerous situation for the Rams here. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's really crappy over under this game, though. 44.5 over under and uh, only 19.3 projected points for Chicago. Yeah, I think this is going to be kind of one of those gross games, but who knows? Maybe our guys, Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup, get some big plays, speed up the game, and maybe we get a, a fun little Monday night showdown I feel like it's better when you have low expectations going in like say that Giants Eagles game like that was pretty low expectations and that game was fun walk off touchdown by Boston Scott there at the end so let's keep expectations low and maybe uh, you know they uh, under promise over deliver for us yeah and also I think it's worth pointing out real fast definitely a game where you can take some defenses and kickers here and the for the reasons that Pete just mentioned it could be a slog it's a lower over under and uh, the Rams I think are pretty reasonable well Rams are a little expensive, but both defenses do seem like they have a decent chance here of being useful. And uh, according to the Sims, so uh, probably not a captain, though. I would not run much defense or kicker at captain, but I think for getting them in the top six, that works. All right, guys, hit that like button before you go. Make sure you subscribe to the Apple Podcast. Give us five stars and a review on there. Follow at Peter Overs at follow at Chris Spags. Follow at Splash Play Pod because we will follow you back on there because we care. We are a podcast that always cares about the people. And Pete, anything else you want to say here before we call it quits and return on? on Thursday. 
Yeah, no, I'll do uh, just one plug. I know we've been talking a lot about uh, DFS kind of theory and strategy and stuff on here. I've been doing my lineup recap videos on my YouTube channel, and I've been doing um, talking with tournament players on Fridays. I talked to Jonathan Bales uh, from the Action Network on last Friday. And so if you want to dive deeper into kind of GPP tournament strategy, uh, I'd recommend uh, those other videos. And I know you said as well, you're going to be over at Osmo this week talking... uh, DFS as well. Yeah, I'll be doing that Sunday show. So we can we can talk more about that on Thursday. But part of their four-hour block, which uh, one thing I saw from one of their producers this week, they're somehow getting more live viewers than Barstool's NFL show, which granted, like, it's not the same thing. It's like one you're going to for transactional advice and one you're going to for fun. But it's crazy. Like, there's just so many Sunday shows out there now. Like, every media property has their Sunday stream. So good for them and excited to, to ride on the coattails of a thing that I helped build and then jumped off before it got big. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, that, I remember too, like Brian and I will finish our Wednesday show lulls and I, they'll have like their PGA show going on and there'll be like 800 people watching live on like a Wednesday night. Uh, so man, uh, they built a, a nice, uh, network over there on their YouTube. Yeah. And have no fear. I'll be whoring out splash player. That shit. That was like, be like, go, go subscribe. Be dropping subscribe links in there. So hopefully we can rise with the tide of my former employer slash, I guess, current employer again, but we appreciate all you guys for watching. Watch Pete's videos. Follow at Peter over follow at Chris bags. We'll be back with you guys again very soon. Thanks for sticking with our audio issues. Again, we'll have it sorted out for Thursday and uh, good luck in tonight's showdown.